scientificator nomen tuum, ad veniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tuum, secret in Kylo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimitem nobis debita nostra, secret et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, Et nanos in ducas and tententionum, sed libra nos amalo. Amen. What's going on, everybody? Let's give it up for the kids one more time. How about them kids, man? It's all right. It was our Savior that said, let the children come unto me, and they came and showed out this morning. How about that? That was wonderful, wonderful to hear. We have come to the end, very, very sadly to me, of the Lord's Prayer series. It's sad for me for two reasons. The first one you might not understand, but it's very near to dear to my heart. So many of you know I'm from Dallas, Texas, and the Dallas Cowboys are five and one during this sermon series. <laughs> so my prayer is that we don't tank the season after today. Lord have mercy. And I'm also sad for another reason, and this reason is more important. This has been, this, this series has made this prayer come more alive for me. I was just talking to Pam before the service. This, this prayer can become very robotic, can become very remote. I've been saying it my entire life. But this series has reminded me why we need to pray this prayer, why we should pray. It has reminded me of Jesus' words, right? Because like Scott mentioned, I think the first week, there's only a few times in Scripture where you ask Jesus a question and he gives you a literal answer. Teach us how to pray, and Jesus, is, and Jesus gives us his words. So I'm just so thankful that we, have, that we got a chance to run through this series, go over his words, and learn from our Savior once again how we should pray, and how prayer should just be a part of our lives moving forward. So it's been a wonderful series for me. So today, we come to the last line of our prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Interesting about this prayer, church, is that these words were not literally uttered by Jesus, right? They call it extra-biblical material. Biblical scholars call this last line a doxology. What is a doxology? A doxology is a short hymn of praise. And the interesting thing about this is that this doxology was not found in the original gospel manuscripts, right? But it was found in other early Christian documents, right? Toward the, late, toward the latter part of the first century, which is also good because this, this last line was found at the end of Jesus' prayer within a century of his time here on earth, right? So this line is not random. It's not a recent add-on. The church established this line many, 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 many generations ago, and we still say it to this day. It's also important to note that in ancient times, 
every, most prayers would end with this kind of doxology, right? N.T. Wright, the biblical scholar, argues quite forcibly, actually, that it is inconceivable to him that Jesus intended that this prayer end would deliver, would deliver us from the evil one, right? He intended it for it to, he, he, Jesus actually probably intended it for it to end with this kind of doxology because Jewish prayers at that time always ended with this kind of doxology, right? And I also think, too, that it's cool that we get this add-on from the church because it actually emphasizes the first two words of the prayer, our Father, right? Jesus establishes early on that these are not just my words, but they're our words. And the church saw fit to end this prayer by saying, thine is the kingdom, thine is the glory, power forever, amen. Now, the question becomes, why? Why these words? Why this particular doxology? And that's what we're going to spend our time doing this morning. The first point is this. The church used this final doxology to affirm Jesus' words, right? To affirm the truth of what he's saying, right? And that's why we get the amen at the end. So when we say amen at the end, what we're quite literally saying is, it is true, Jesus, every word you've said in this prayer. It is absolutely true that our Father, are, that our Father is in heaven and that his name is holy. That's true, right? It's absolutely true that, that, that you're going to provide our daily needs, our daily sustenance, and make sure that we're provided for it every single day. It's absolutely true that your kingdom will come and that your will be, and that, and that your will will be enacted continuously on earth as it is in heaven. That's absolutely true. And it is true, Jesus, that God forgives us for our sins and he empowers us to forgive others. And yes, it is true that you will not lead us into temptation and you will deliver us from the evil schemes and strategies of the enemy. And because these words of tr are true, your kingdom reigns forever. Your power is stronger and mightier than anyone else's power. And your glory exceeds all of the fame. And for that, we say, amen. This is true. And that's the first thing that we want to point out this morning, that the church wanted to affirm. The first thing they wanted to do, they wanted to affirm that these words that Jesus speaks are absolutely true. And we're going to dive deeper into amen toward the end of the sermon, but I figured it was good to start there, right? Affirming that Jesus' words are true. And I think it's also important to point out, too, here that when we pray in our daily lives, it's important that we actually look toward the end of the prayer in the amen, right? And this is why Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, he doesn't just make it about our needs or our requests, but when we pray to God, it's about affirming who God is, affirming what his promises are, and affirming the life he calls us to, right? That's what prayer is also about. And when we ground our prayers in the truth of Scripture, we can look forward to saying at the end, this is true. 
right? Because no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what tough circumstances that we have to endure, when we ground our prayer in Scripture, we know that God is going to be faithful to meet us where we are and allow us to endure what we're going through. When we ground our prayers in Scripture, it's like uh, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. We ground our prayers in Scripture, it's like peace I give to you, says Jesus. My peace I give to you. Not the world's peace, but my peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. When we ground our prayers in scriptures like all things work together for the good of those who love God. Our lives, the arc of our lives bends toward God's good. The arc of our lives bend toward God's good. So if we focus our prayers, not just on our knees, but ground them in Scripture, by the end when we say amen, we can affirm that what God has said, not what we've said, but what God has said is absolutely true. So ending with that affirmation is very, very important. And that's why the church has sort of passed this line down to us, and that's why we still say it to this day. Let's go backwards a little bit. For thine is the kingdom, for yours is the kingdom, power and glory forever and ever. Amen. It is no accident, church, that this line is added here right after Jesus says, deliver us from the evil one, right? Last week, Scott really sort of painted a picture for us of how Satan really does a job of trying to tempt us, right? Scott took us into the passage where Jesus is drawn into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we know in Scripture that when Jesus is in the wilderness, one of the things the devil does is this. He says, if you bow down to me right now, I will give you all of these kingdoms of this world in all of their splendor, right? And Jesus would go on to say, of course, no, I'm not going to do that. And what he does here, church, is he establishes what kingdom he's a part of, right? What kingdom he actually wants to inherit. And he also establishes the one and only person he's going to bow to, which is his father who arts in heaven, right? And this is very, very important because in prayer, we have to choose a side. That's what the church is saying here, right? In prayer, when we say yours is the kingdom, we are automatically rejecting the, the world's kingdom, right? We are automatically saying that, God, I choose your kingdom over the world's kingdom, right? We're saying that I'm not going to be tempted. I'm not going to be lured by the pleasures, the spoils, and the riches of this world's kingdom because they are going to distract me from being about my father's business. So Jesus says here that you have to choose whose kingdom do you want to be a part of. And this prayer says, I choose your kingdom. When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, that is one of the fundamental questions that arises out of his teachings and ministry. Whose kingdom do you want to be a part of? Whose kingdom do you want to abide in? And these two, because there are two kingdoms out there, and they are destined to compete against one another. 
Because one kingdom is going to say, do what satisfies you, do what appeases your flesh. Another kingdom is going to say, I know what you actually need. I know what you actually want. And when you join this kingdom, my father becomes our father, right? And, 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 and when you join this kingdom, you're going to find the satisfaction, the joy, the peace, and the true happiness that can only be found in me. If you go to that other kingdom, you will not find it because the only one who holds the key to your heart's desire is the one who created you in his image. Right? Whose kingdom do you want to be a part of? And the early church answers this question emphatically by saying, yours is the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom. We choose you, O Lord. We choose your kingdom. And they pass that answer down to us and say, take this wisdom, children. Take this wisdom and do as we have done. The kingdom of God us choosing the kingdom of God has allowed us to endure for centuries, for millennia, and it can do the same for you. So the church is saying, follow your forefathers, follow your foremothers, and making the right choice and saying, yours is the kingdom and not the world's. We're going to allow God's kingdom to inbreak into our lives and into our world so that our lives can be transformed from the inside out. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Another thing, too, that we learn from Jesus is that Jesus obeys not only for his benefit, but for the benefit of others. When Jesus says, I choose your kingdom, he never regrets making that choice, right? When we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus being afraid. We see him having fear. We see him being scared. And he's like, man, like, man, God, this, is, this sounds like a lot to endure. Is there another way? But we don't see him saying, you know, that, that offer the devil made is looking pretty tempting right now. Never does he say that. Because Jesus knows the outcome of that kingdom. He knows, he, he knows how that road is going to end. And his obedience, church, not only allows him to fulfill God's will, it also positions him to impact the lives of others, right? It also positions him to fulfill God's plan, not only for his life, but for, but for the life of others who God is going to bless through him. So when we choose God's kingdom, it's not simply about us. It's not simply about you, but it's about being a part of God's kingdom agenda to save the world, to save the communities that you're a part of, to save your family. Your obedience is not some selfish or individual decision. Jesus proves that. So the answer to this question, whose kingdom do you want to inherit, whose kingdom do you choose, is very consequential, not just for your life, but for the lives of others, right? And another thing we have to see here, too, is when Jesus says no, it worked out for his good. And child of God, I want to tell you that when you say no, it will work out for you, too. As, as, as compelling as the world can be, 
as tempting as the world can be, I promise you, you will overcome your temptation just like Jesus did. And, and guess what? You won't regret it either. This is not saying that you won't go through any pain. Jesus went through pain. It's not saying that you, that, that you, won't, go, that you won't have to endure some hardships. Jesus had to do that. But everything worked out for his good and the good of others. So therefore, do not be dismayed if it hurts just for a little bit. Because if you endure just like Jesus did, it will work out for your good. Because we will be tempted. And this is another reason why this, this, this last line comes right after deliver us from the evil one. The, church, the early church knew we will be tempted. We will be compelled at times by the world. But don't do it. Say no. Just like Jesus did. Jesus is the ultimate demonstration that if we say no, it will work out. Right? So this is, this, this is an encouragement to you and to me as well. That just because it might feel good in the moment, does not mean it's going to work out for our good in the long run. That is it, right? And that's, that, and that's why Jesus poses this cosmic level question, which kingdom do you choose? Because if you choose a kingdom, you're choosing a kingdom lifestyle. You're choosing a kingdom agenda. It's so much more broader than one individual choice. Whose kingdom do you choose? The early church says, yours is the kingdom. And this prayer can be used as a weapon, right, against the enemy. When we pray, at the end of our prayers, what would it look like if we affirmed the word of God and said, God, I choose your kingdom, not the world's kingdom? That puts the devil on notice every single day that you are not welcome here. Your schemes will not work here because I choose God's kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The only power I want and desire is the power of God, not the power of this world. The only glory that I want, the only fame that I want, so quote-unquote, is the glory of God. My life exists to glorify his name, not my name. That puts the enemy on notice because it says your schemes will not work here. Your strategies would not work. You cannot trick me because I am a child of God. And I say here and right now, yours is the kingdom, God, over all of the kingdoms. Yours is the power over all of the powers. And yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is true. And then we get to this word forever. This word forever, this week, church, really shook me up because I struggled personally in, in my Christian journey with this idea of existing in the now and patiently awaiting the not yet, right? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Because forever really pushes us to think beyond the now, right? Right? And as Christians, the reality is 
We exist right now, but we patiently await the not yet. What do we do with that, right? What do we do with this? It's important to know, first and foremost, that we do not pray to a kingdom that's pie in the sky by and by. No, the kingdom of God is now. It's right now, right? We have been brought near to God through the sacrifice of Christ. We are children of God. We are friends of God because of what Christ has done. And, and, and we get glimpses of the kingdom in the now. We get glimpses through Sunday morning, through Sunday morning worship. We get glimpses through communal prayers, communal fasts, right? We get glimpses in our own private devotional time, right? We, we, we know and we've experienced the kingdom of God now, yet we also know that we haven't experienced it fully. Not yet. So the question becomes, how do we navigate this tension of living in the now while patiently awaiting the not yet. One way we signify this, 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 this dynamic is in, is, is in how we proclaim and worship Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and he will come again. Now, Christ has died, Christ has risen is our story right? It is our grand narrative of how we know that God is working in the world. How do you know that God is working in the world? One only needs to gaze at the cross where he died for you and me and paid a debt that we could not pay. And then turn your attention to the empty, the empty grave where Christ got up, rose from the dead with all power, and the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now exists within you and I today. And because we have been indwelled with the spirit, we know what it is to know God, to pursue God, and to become holier and holier and holier because the spirit lives within us. The kingdom of God is now because the kingdom of God is in you. It's absolutely in you. Yet, 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 we also know that there's, that, 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 that there's more that we have not yet experienced. How do we know this? Well, we know this for a simple reason. We live in a broken world where evil is present, pain is pain, tragedy is tragedy. And, 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 and when these things happen to us, we are so deeply saddened and hurt by it. Why? Because we know that this is not our, our, our eternal arrangements. This is not our eternal home. We are not meant to be here forever. We're not meant to dwell on this earth forever and ever. No, this is our temporary home, our temporary dwelling place. So therefore, we are allowed to yearn to God, God. Life is hard. God, this is tough. And God says, don't worry, my child. I will help you endure now. But the better news is it's just temporary. And it's just temporary because I have a place carved out for you in eternity where you will be with me forevermore. That's what it means to look forward to but not yet. 
The not yet is meant to say to, is meant to remind us that this is our temporary home. We're not meant to be here forever. And I don't know about you, church, but I get a little bit excited. I, I get a lot excited just to think about spending an eternity with Jesus. Oh, my heart is overwhelmed with joy when I think about gazing at my Savior face to face, to see the one who died for me, to see the one who set me free. Tears can well up in my eyes just to think about seeing my Jesus, seeing my Savior face to face for the rest of eternity. Oh, on that glad morning, when this life is over, we'll fly away to be with Jesus, going to a home on God's celestial shore, just a few more weary days on this earth, and we'll go to a land where joy will never end. I cannot wait to get to experience that not yet. I cannot wait to see my Savior face to face. My grandmother used to say this to me. She said, Jayla, you know what? I can't wait to go to heaven. I said, why, Granny? Why can't you wait? Because when I get to my heavenly home, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to kick off my running shoes and put on my walking shoes because my race is finished. It is over, and I've crossed over to the, to the other shore. And now I can walk around heaven with a little path in my step, walking with Jesus every single day, every single hour, because I've made it on over. And now I'm experiencing the not yet. And that gets me through this world sometimes, church that this is just temporary. This is not always. This is eternal. And things will come to an end. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. The kingdom of God is now. And it is also not yet. We await the not yet. And this prayer, church, this prayer directs us toward the forever. You know, it's, 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 it's so hard, right? Especially in our culture where we have been conditioned to get stuff when we want it. Amen, right? We've been conditioned, we've been conditioned that way, right? But see, here's the thing. Eternity <laughs> does not work that way. See, see, see you cannot choose you cannot, uh, uh, you cannot, you don't have the authority to pick and choose when you get to experience the not yet. So the prayer has to be, Lord, use me until you use me up. My God, use me, God, until I have no more purpose on this earth, until you say, well done, my faithful servant. Until then, oh, Lord, use me until you use me up. And then I will experience but not yet. That's the kingdom of God being now. That's the kingdom of God being, being in the present. It's that we get to be used by God right here, right now, to transform the lives, not only of, not, not only of ourselves, but we transform the lives of others around us, right? Salvation is never about you only. Salvation is about who God can save through you, Right? The kingdom of God is now. It's also in the not yet. And this prayer directs us toward that forever. It, it, it encourages us by saying that there will be a time where God will wipe every tear away. There will be no more trouble. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. 
there will be a time where you will experience eternal joy and happiness. And to that we say amen. It is true. Amen also means let it be so. And what an appropriate response to the promises of God. Let it be so. Thus it shall be. Thus it will come to pass. The not yet is a promise. But we got to get there. We got to run the race. We got to keep on running. And Jesus will give us the endurance to finish the race until we've crossed over to the other shore. And oh, when we cross over to the other shore, my God, I can only imagine what I'll be doing. Will I dance? Will I cry? Uh, will I bow down to him? Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, y'all. But I tell you what, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have joy. A Cowboys winning the Super Bowl ain't got nothing on this kind of joy. <laughs> ain't got nothing on it. Because I'll be with my Savior for the rest of eternity. No more crying. No more pain. No more tears of sadness and grief. Only tears of joy because I've crossed that shore. I've made it over. And I can be with my Jesus for the rest of eternity. And to that we say amen. Let it be so, and it is true. So when you pray, always look toward that amen. Why do we do that? We do that so that to make sure that we are grounding our prayers in the truth of Scripture. Because you want to be able to say, at when, when you, you want to be able to say when you say amen, this is true, right? If you just go to prayer and you're just asking God for, I need this, grant me this, grant me this, it might not be true, low-key. It might not be true. God's going to be like, uh, I don't think you need that. Go to, go, go, to, go to my scripture. Go to my word. That's true. That's true. And because it's true, I'm going to be faithful to do it. I'm going to be faithful to do it. I'm going I'm to help you every single day grounded in scripture. That way, when you say amen, you can walk out of that thing saying, you know what? It is true. I might be crying on my knees in deep hurt, but the, the truth of God's scripture, the truth of God's word will help me endure this thing. It is true. Ground those prayers in scripture and let us say amen gladly and with encouragement because God is faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. God is not a human being that he would ever lie. If he said it, it will come to pass. So let us trust and believe and say amen with authority, not because of what we said, but because of what God has said. So I thank the early church for adding this last line. Because this last line got a little umph to it. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Only you, Lord, get the power. Only you, Lord, get the glory. Only your kingdom can govern and run my life. Forever now and also in the not yet. And to that we say amen. Let it be so. As the worship team comes up, we want to take time right now to pray. And we also want to take in communion. 